As, as you guys know, if you're new to the church, this, this might be something you're figuring out or learning about us. But if you're a part of our church for any time, you know that we are a part of a family of churches called Sovereign Grace Churches. And there are multiple reasons why the Lord has joined us to this family of churches and that we are grateful for. But one of those reasons is the ability that it gives to us to partner in answering the Savior's call that every believer would occupy their time here on earth, fulfilling what we know as the Great Commission. And one of the last things Jesus communicated to his disciples was that they were not only to receive this benefit of reconciliation to God that they had received, but that they were to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. So whether you wake up on Monday morning strategizing your life that way or not, did you know that is a mandate that sits on every one of our lives? And the last thing in the world we want to do as individual Christians or as local churches is become so localized, so focused on us that all we do is listen for how the Bible talks about the next good thing that we can get and and what we need from God for us personally and how we can survive today and tomorrow, how we can have a great life walking with God. Those are great things. The Bible's got a lot to say there. But there is this mandate, this burden of God to bring the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And through partnering with other churches, we have an opportunity to bring the gospel to other places. And this morning, we have the privilege of meeting, as Bill mentioned, uh, Joel Bain. And you're going to be greatly blessed by just getting to know him and his story. Joel is from Jamaica. Uh, Joel is answering the burden that was awakened in his heart a few years ago to plant a church in Jamaica. And since that awakening, he and his family, along with a couple other families you'll hear about, have taken steps of faith in the last couple of years to sell everything in Jamaica, to leave and come to the United States, to partner with Sovereign Grace, to go through the Sovereign Grace Pastors College for a year, and then to walk through an internship in one of the Sovereign Grace local churches for a year. And now they have returned. They have returned much lighter than what they left because they sold their stuff and now they've come back realizing, hey, we need to reestablish our lives here in Jamaica. And so that's part of what we are eager to help them to do. Uh, This coming week, a week from today, they will be holding their first public meetings to gather interest for the church plant. And so we have a great opportunity with them. And they're going to be partnering with the Southeast region of Sovereign Grace. And as you guys know, that's the part of the region we're a part of. That's the part of Sovereign Grace. I get to serve as a regional leader. And so this is not the last you're going to hear of this church. We're going to have opportunities to support them, to be a part of all that God's doing in the coming days with them. So as this venture begins, we get to be a part of the foundation of that. And, And what Joel is going to help us to do today is to get introduced to Jamaica, and the needs that are there, uh, also to preach the word to us in just a moment as well. But as you listen, can you, can you do this? You know, the, the next year is, is the initial kickoff for this church plant. There's a great deal of need for prayer to go before these efforts and for the individuals involved and for those that are seeking to be reached. 
there's a, there's a great need for financial support. And let me just say this to us as we are gathered this morning. There's a great need for financial support. There is not a broad range of individuals to help with that financial support. And so, uh, Joel being here this morning is, is by God's sovereign purpose that we would hear the opportunity that we have to partner with this church plan. So what I want you to do while he is speaking and preaching to us is just be thinking. I'm going to come back at the end, and as Bill mentioned, we're going to take a, a special offering for this church plant. Could you do this? Could you just, as you're listening, you're going to hear him say things that are going to become little tags for you to remember, okay, I, I want to make sure and pray for the church in that category. Uh, and as you sense the need, Lord, I want to be a part of giving towards this. Lord, what would you have us to give? And so if all of us would be postured that way, I believe the reason why God has brought Joel here to, to partner with us and to get to know us as a church and him be known by us as well will become clear. So we have some great opportunities before us to be a part of what God's doing in Jamaica in the coming days. And so please welcome Mr. Joel Bain to our pulpit this morning. Thank you, man. Good morning. When we started to sing, my heart just filled with joy. Immediately. I mean, that, that doesn't happen to me all the time. Sometimes, you know, and I'm sure you can relate, it takes a little while to realize where you are with the people of God, in the presence of God, remembering all God has done for us. But this morning, my heart just burst open with joy. I am so delighted to be with you all this morning. Uh, it's such a privilege. I want to thank Keith and the leaders here for extending this invitation to me. Uh, it really means a lot to our small team to be able to uh, be face-to-face with people within our family, Sovereign Grace, and to share our lives and the mission that God has given us with you, and to be joined with you in your mission. I'm going to start, before I preach, by telling you a bit about Jamaica. I don't know what's going on. Oh, uh, there it is, in front of me. Okay, great. And behind me. Wonderful. That works well. (laughs) So we are planting Grace Family Church uh, in an area called Caymanas Estate, Jamaica. But I wanted to tell you a bit about Jamaica uh, in general. So the picture most people have of Jamaica is as a tourist destination. Um, so, So, you know, that kind of picture. You know, that's a picture of the Ocherias, the pier at Ocherias where all the cruise ships come in. As I've spent time in the States over the past two years, I've been amazed the number of people who come up to me and say, oh, I took a cruise to Jamaica, or I honeymooned in Jamaica. And we are grateful for that. Tourism is a very important industry for us uh, that supports the livelihoods of many people. Uh, But I want to tell you a bit about Jamaica. Jamaica is a country with both beauty and brokenness. Uh, I think... I want you to give you a picture of where we are in the world, if you don't know, just in case you don't know. So that's, we're kind of zoomed in. You'll see that across to one side is Haiti, and then we're directly below Cuba. And if you're familiar with, it, with where Cuba is, we're pretty close to the U.S. It takes less than an hour and a half for us to fly to Miami from Kingston, Jamaica. Kingston is the capital. Uh, in Jamaica, we have about a population of about 2.7 
uh, million people. We actually have more Jamaicans who live outside of Jamaica than live in Jamaica. So it's quite unusual. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It might, it might just be a part of living on an island. You kind of run out of space and you're like, okay, I need to see somewhere else. Most Jamaicans don't intuitively understand when we've told them why we want to plant a church. One of the reasons for that is that Jamaica reputedly has the most churches per square mile in the world. But at the same time, we have the fifth highest murder rate in the world when last measured. And 85% of children in Jamaica are born out of wedlock. Many of those children don't know who their father is. And I've heard many stories where a child is growing up with a father, and at some point in time, they both realize, wait, we are not actually related to each other. So there's, there are many areas in which we experience significant brokenness. Obviously, a situation like this, with so many children born out of wedlock, erodes families, erodes the development of children and their sense of identity and their sense of security. It means they're not provided for as well because they may be raised by one parent or by extended family members who don't care that much about them. Uh, it means many of our, 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 our children, particularly our young girls, are very vulnerable within their own homes to sexual assault. The church in Jamaica uh, is a challenging thing to understand. As I said, we have many churches. But for many years, we've suspected that the, the health of our churches uh, is, is, is declining. Uh, we've, we've wondered what the picture is. Uh, we've had our, our thoughts and our guesses and our anecdotes about that. Um, for a long time, we've suspected that, we, uh, that, that we're struggling in terms of our presentation and understanding of the gospel. The landscape of the church in Jamaica looks very much either like rule-keeping, like the prosperity gospel, or like the idea that we have to be good for God to accept us. Uh, last summer, a study was published which gave us clear insight in, into what was going on in the church. So these are the figures. Let me quickly interpret them for you. We realize that 51% of Jamaicans don't believe the gospel. Meaning if you ask them about relationship with God and if they're saved and how, they would not say they were saved by grace through faith. Another 26% would say they are saved by grace through faith, but you're not seeing any fruit in their lives. You're not seeing them dedicated to local community. You're not seeing them even interested in reading the scriptures. That leaves 23% of people in Jamaica who say they're saved and actually are showing fruit of salvation in their lives. So that's our situation. Many churches, but the gospel isn't having the kind of impact we'd like to see it have on people. Our vision, as we plant Grace Family Church, is to cultivate disciples who are digging deeper into the gospel and who are bearing fruit which is visible in their lives through their values, through their pursuits, and through, through their relationships and are making disciples of those around them as God causes supernatural life and health to spring up in our lives and to flow over to our friends, to our family, to our co-workers, and to our neighbors. I get the privilege of doing this with my team. Uh, there, as you heard, there are three of us men who went to the pastor's college in, in, in Louisville, along with our wives and kids. That picture is about a year old. We need to update it now. Um, but that's us. Um, the youngest kids are now two. Uh, the eldest is nine. 
As you see, we have more children than adults right now, so that means children's ministry is going to be really important from day one. <laughs> I mean, one idea in our vision that I just want to blow up for you just for, uh, just, just for a few minutes is that idea of cultivating disciples. Um, if you drive around and you see fields that are uncultivated, often in those fields things are growing. But there's a massive difference between a field which is cultivated and a field which is uncultivated. A cultivated field is one in which growth is organized and therefore growth is maximized. Because God is gracious to us in Jamaica, people are hearing the gospel and people are coming to faith. But often their discipleship is an experience of wandering around, having many misunderstandings, trying to understand what God has called them to, trying to figure out how they pursue a relationship with God and a life that pleases God with not much guidance uh, from those around them. We want to be in a situation where we are able to organize people's growth by being intentional in our discipleship and intentionally leading people constantly to a greater understanding of the gospel. So that's our goal. That's a little bit of our vision. Uh, and now I'd just like to preach the word of God for you. So please turn with me to Colossians 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 8. Colossians 1, 3 to 8. This is the word of the Lord. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does also among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learnt it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Father, I ask that you'd unfold your word for us this morning. Oh, how we need you, Lord. Oh, how we need to again be instructed in your word, to again grow in our understanding of your work in the world around us and your work in our own hearts. Encourage us with your words and continue to shape us in the image of Christ, we ask. So, last August, around this time, marked the beginning of a 10-month period that I spent with my family just outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. No, I got in at the airport in Miami um, on Friday, and the guy, the immigration officer, looked at my passport, and he was like, so do you travel every year on August 17th? Because it so happens that it was August 17th that we made our trip um, through Fort Lauderdale, up to Pennsylvania. I almost got in trouble because, you know, it was looking a little, a little sketchy there, like I was trying to keep living in the States or something. I did an internship at Risen Hope Church, uh, one of your sister churches in Sovereign Grace. That season gave me many reasons and many opportunities to visit downtown Philly. 
Now, if you've never had the opportunity to visit Philly, one of the things you'll notice as you drive around or walk around the city is the murals. All over the city, artists have turned walls. I mean, sometimes these walls are three or four stories tall and go across the whole length of a building, and they've turned them into massive canvases and painted intricate and detailed murals, each telling a story about the city or its history. Now, there aren't many murals that I'm aware of in my hometown of Kingston, Jamaica, certainly not on the scale of those in Philly, apart from two at the University of the West Indies campus, And maybe that's what added to my fascination with these murals in Philly. Now, I'm no art expert, but what struck me about these murals was the way that so many of them were made up of smaller pictures, of individual characters and scenes, which, on one hand, seemed to be able to stand alone. You could focus on one little section and take in all the details of that section. Yet, that little portrait was conceived in the mind of the artist as a part of a unified whole. What so many of those murals seemed to do was to connect those little portraits so that when you step back far enough to see the big picture, it communicates a single theme. And in many cases, that big picture was beautiful and fascinating and intricate and vibrant. I think that one helpful way we can understand our passage this morning is to see it as that kind of thing. A big picture with several little portraits in it. It's like a number of individual paintings, like a series of scenes running together which are connected and form this unified whole. So we could focus our attention on Paul, then on what's happening with the saints in Colossae, then on Epaphras, and spend time observing the details of each portrait. And we will do that together. But we'd be missing out if we didn't see the connections between each portrait and step back to look at the whole picture to see how beautiful and intricate and fascinating it is. There's one more thing about murals that I'm pretty sure I understood correctly from my time in Philly. They're meant to affect the viewer. They're not just supposed to be, uh, we're not just supposed to be standing in front of them as these kind of dispassionate observers looking at these huge walls with art on them. Seeing a mural is meant to produce some response in us, whether that be awe or pride or outrage or empathy. I strongly suspect that the artists who paint murals want them in some way to shape those who view them. The same is true of this passage we are viewing. God's intent is to shape us by his spirit as we view this picture of the gospel at work in many lives across many miles. He means for us to respond to it and to receive his grace for our own lives through it. So what I'd like to do as we look closely at these four portraits is to guide you through this passage. And this is what we'll call the four portraits in this passage. A heart that is grateful, a hope that is stable, a gospel that is fruitful, and a servant who is faithful. As we look at each... I want you to see how they are connected to one another. And then we'll step back to look at the whole they form. So let's look at the first portrait, starting in verse 3. A heart that is grateful. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Those are the first words of this letter 
from the Apostle Paul to a small church in the small town of Colossae. If you've read a few of the letters that Paul wrote, especially if you're reading in a Bible that has headings, you'd have become accustomed to the fact that Paul often starts his letters with thanksgiving. But don't let that fool you into quickly jumping over the thanksgiving as if to get to the meat of the matter. These are not cursory remarks. Paul wants the recipients of his letter to be assured that he and Timothy have been praying for them and that every time they pray for them, they thank God. And the passage tells us what was behind these constant thankful prayers. They had received a report about the faith and love of these believers from Epaphras, who we'll hear more about later in the passage. Since biblical love is both felt and demonstrated, we can be pretty sure that what Paul and Timothy heard were stories about the lives of the people in this local church. Stories which illustrated the way they were displaying the faith of those who are in Christ and demonstrating love for other believers, which reached beyond the boundaries of their town. But here's the peculiar part. Paul didn't start the church in Colossae. He probably hadn't even visited the church or met these believers. What we find out later in this passage is that Epaphras, who was originally from Colossae, had preached the gospel to these people, and they received it, and the church in Colossae began. Also, Paul, at the time of writing this letter, was in prison, more than likely in Rome. We find this out later in the letter, in chapter 4, verse 3. So the portrait here is of an aging minister of the gospel, with his young associate, Timothy, on their knees in prison, deeply moved to lift up thanksgivings in prayer to God because of the stories they had been told about what was happening in the hearts and lives of fellow believers who they had never actually met. Paul and Timothy may not have known these people, but they knew the grace of, of the Lord and had seen it at work in their own lives and in the lives of many others. So when they heard that this fruit was evident in this local church, how could they not give thanks? The report that Epaphras gave to Paul clearly had some disturbing news also. The rest of the book of Colossians revealed that these believers were being confronted by dangerous teaching, which called into question the sufficiency of Christ and the gospel. The letter also responds to the danger of these believers falling back into ungodly ways that they thought in and behaved before receiving Christ. Yet, what was first in Paul's heart, despite the threats facing this church, and despite his own personal suffering, was gratitude to God. So, when you think of the believers around you, what are you most aware of? My kids have been continuing their swimming lessons this summer since we've gotten back home. I mean, one of the things that drove us crazy, but it was understandable when we were in Louisville, is we get there, we rent an apartment, and there's a pool at the apartment, and the, apartment, and, and the pool closed within a few days for most of the time we were in Louisville. I mean, it literally was open for like a two-week window when we got there, and then a two-week window before we left. Now, in Jamaica, you swim in pools all year. You know, so this was, it was like, what? What's but then, of course, it's cold, so it, it made sense after a while. So we're back home, and they're getting back into their swimming. And what I've realized is that as I watched them learn to swim, I could focus on the imperfection of their strokes and focus on these times when, like, my six-year-old completely misses the instructions of his teacher because he's so happy splashing in the pool and is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Or I could focus on their steady progress and growing confidence. 
If you drive around this city or, or your neighborhood, you could be bothered by all the things that are wrong, or you could be joyfully aware of what's whole and what's working. So think about the people in your small group or those you serve alongside. When you think about them, are you most aware of the immaturity or blind spots of that brother or sister? Are you fixated on the fact that despite teaching and counsel and encouragement, that particular person continues to shun Christian community and suffers for it? Are your prayers more dominated by what's broken in your marriage or the marriages around you than they are by thanksgiving for evidences of grace? Are we more aware of each other's shortcomings or of the miracle of faith and genuine Christian love that God is working in the hearts of people? Do we celebrate signs of life or are we depressed by ongoing battles with sin? Now, this is not about trying to keep on the sunny side of life or ignoring other believers' misunderstandings, vulnerabilities, and sins. Paul doesn't do that in this letter. He commends the supremacy of Christ to them even as they face the active danger of being drawn away from the gospel to meaningless religious practices. He calls them to a life fully pleasing to God and to putting sin to death. But he does not start there. He starts with recognizing and responding to the fruit of the gospel with thanksgiving. There is something distinctly grace-shaped about being able to see all the brokenness in the lives of our brothers and sisters, yet express gratitude to God for their faith and love. It's a product of faith in the power of the gospel, a resolute confidence that the life of Christ will overcome the decay of sin in the lives of his people and in the world. In preparing this message, I was convicted about relationships I have uh, which, that have started to feel like the joy is being drained out of them because I've started to fixate on flaws far too easily and fail to celebrate grace at work. This passage is calling me to examine my own heart as we continue the process of gathering people to plant Grace Family Church. You see, in my broken culture, I'm encountering people who misunderstand the gospel and have messy lives or misplaced priorities. But despite the fact that every one of those issues is in my own life and in the lives of those on my team, I find I have a keen eye for what's broken in people's lives as I'm getting to know them and for what's wrong with them and for what I anticipate could cause a problem in the future. That, of course, is a manifestation of my own sin. But I've been challenged by the Spirit of God about how quickly I overlook the fruit of the gospel in people's lives, failing to give God thanks for it. Last month, we gathered as a team at the home of my in-laws, and we were sharing a meal uh, together with a couple who are going to join us in Grace Family Church. Uh, this is a wonderful couple. They are a gift to us. They've supported us financially for two years as we've been here in the States. And we just had a wonderful time getting to know them, hearing about how they met, hearing about their marriage. And I tell you the truth, at the end of the evening, we were all on a high. This was like, okay, God, we are planting a church. And if it's going to be like this, this is wonderful. And then we went outside with them to walk them to their car, and we looked and we realized that somebody, while we were meeting, had shattered one of the back passenger glass uh, um, um, windows, sorry, shattered one of the windows, and had stolen a bag with a laptop and a tablet from their vehicle. They had bought that vehicle less than a week before. So now, work laptop is gone, tablet is gone, and they have to fix a window. 
I mean, it was, it was depressing. It was just like, you know, and I had this weird thought. I was like, you know, are people going to even join us if this is what happens when we get together? <laughs> the next morning, they sent me this message. Just wanted to let you know that although we were robbed, we are extremely happy that we got to join you guys. The fellowship was worth it and much more. We look forward to spending more time with you guys. Now, what can you do in response to that except give thanks? Paul provides an example for us all, but one that is particularly, particularly applicable for leaders. Imagine how encouraged the saints, these saints in Colossae would have been when they read these words. It would have assured them that God is at work in their lives. Imagine how encouraged those we lead would be if we constantly gave thanks to God for them and affirmed the work of the Spirit in their lives. What's most remarkable to me about Paul's example is that it takes place while he himself is suffering. Despite his own situation, he rejoices in what God is doing in these believers. And in doing so, he experiences joy himself. A joy born out of a delight in God at work in the world around him. John Calvin, in commenting on this passage, says, Paul admonishes us by his example to acknowledge with gratitude not merely those things which the Lord confers upon us, but also those things which he confers upon others. And you see, that kind of gratitude is a conduit of grace to the soul that is suffering. A heart that is grateful. Let's look now at the second portrait in this passage, a hope that is stable. When I was growing up, I always enjoyed these kinds of TV shows that looked at the science of the inner workings of things. So whether it was one of those biology shows with animals and you'd see all of these wonderful things that they could do and then we figure out how they could do them, or whether it was a show with science and mechanics and you're, you're understanding how machines work, I found them fascinating. But it's not just entertaining to understand how things work. It can be of vital importance if you have a role to play in maintaining them. Now, that's the case if you own a car. Uh, Many of us don't know a whole lot about our cars, but the basic knowledge that our cars run on fuel means that we're going to make sure they have fuel in them. This next portrait in Colossians 1 verse 5 gives us a vital window into the inner workings of our faith. It's like an x-ray showing us how connected parts work. And it's given to us not just so that we would understand, but that we would put that understanding to work for the benefit of others and for the benefit of our own souls. We just saw that Paul's joyful prayers of thanksgiving flow out of hearing about the faith and love of these believers. Now we learn that the faith and love of these Colossians is sustained by the hope that these believers have been given through the gospel. So let's read from verse 4 and add the first part of verse 5 so that we can see the flow of thought. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So the cause, as it were, of their faith in Jesus and their love for all the people of God is the hope laid up for them in heaven. This doesn't mean that their heavenly inheritance is the first cause of their faith and love. Paul teaches us in Romans 10 that faith comes from hearing, 
and hearing through the word of Christ. And in 1 John 4, we're taught that whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Faith in Jesus and love for each other are the result of the supernatural work of God who brings us to life through the gospel. Even as I preach, God is at work. And oh, that God would bring somebody to life through the gospel this morning. What Paul is speaking about is the way that hope sustains our faith and love. The faith and love of these believers was thriving because it was being sustained by a stable hope. It's a bit like a trellis that is used to support vines like tomatoes or grapes. Is anybody into that kind of gardening where you plant your own tomatoes when it's warm enough? I've, I've never been that into that myself, but I've been around people doing that. And what I realized is that the stability of that trellis, made of wood or sometimes wood and then wire, bears the weight of the plant and facilitates its fruitfulness. In that sense, we can say that hope becomes the basis for the fruit of faith and love. But what is this hope? Is Paul talking about just kind of feeling hopeful? Is it being consistently optimistic in life? Is that what is going to cause our faith in Christ and our love for others to thrive? No. Paul is not talking about a subjective or personal experience. He describes it as a hope laid up for us in heaven. He goes on to say, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. As Epaphras taught the gospel to these believers, they learned about a hope that Jesus had secured for them. In verse 12 of this same chapter, that hope is described as the inheritance of the saints in light. Later down in verse 27, Paul speaks of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because Jesus now lives in them, they are assured of sharing a glorious future with him. In chapter 3, Paul, speaking of Jesus' promised return, encourages them and all of us who trust in him with these words. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Soon and very soon. What Paul is talking about is the objective, blood-bought, rock-solid promise that when Jesus returns, those of us who have been saved by him will share in his inheritance and be transformed from these bodies into spectacular spiritual bodies fit to enjoy such blessings. As I was walking through Miami Airport, uh, I had a situation where I sat down at the gate for my connecting flight here. I looked at my phone and realized that the gate had changed. And I looked at the map and realized that that gate was way over there. So I pick up my stuff and I get walking again. And my knee is hurting. And I'm like, what is this? My knee is hurting here. And I have no choice but to walk this distance. And then I get to the new gate. And within about 20 minutes of sitting down and pulling out my laptop to keep working on my sermon, I look at the app again and the gate has changed back to the first gate. (laughs) So, of course, I load up and walk again. But thank God, soon and very soon... He's coming because, you know, I don't know if I'm that old, but I'm feeling it sometimes. (laughs) The promise of heaven is not a fairy tale. Jesus himself promised this to us. And then he died and came back to life, proving that all his words were true. Every year since 1910, uh, young athletes in Jamaica have been competing in a national track and field 
meet. That's simply known as champs. Preparation for champs involves these hopefuls dedicating themselves to months of strenuous training just to qualify for the meet. And those who make their school's team and stay healthy are heading into the championships. Of those, only a few of them will distinguish themselves, perhaps winning a scholarship to a university or college or a sponsorship from a sportswear company. And for those few, the journey continues, hopefully towards representing Jamaica someday on the international stage and winning a world cup, uh, sorry, winning a world championship or Olympic medal. Theirs is a hope of glory that most do not realize. And their hope is not like our hope. We as Christians do not achieve glory through our dedication, commitment, and hard work, or through our adherence to religious ceremony, or through achieving some standard of personal goodness. Our hope is assured. It's stable because it's guaranteed. That's what makes it solid ground in which faith and love grow. We are able to sustain loving difficult Christians when we are confident that one day, both they and us will be perfected in the presence of Christ. We are able to continue in integrity despite financial trials when we live with the quiet assurance that the meek will inherit the earth when it is renewed at Christ's return. Isn't it ironic that the hope that is stable is invisible? We cannot see it with our eyes. We sang about that this morning. We haven't seen yet. We can't reach out and touch it. Yet it is more real than all the stuff and promises of this life which are passing away. I think, in a sense, it's understandable that we struggle to be assured of the objective hope we're given in the gospel. But it's important for us to recognize that you can't do a la carte with the gospel. If our inheritance is a myth, then our forgiveness is a myth. So what are we to do then with this understanding of the inner workings of our faith? This particular aspect of the relationship between faith, love, and hope. How do we respond to this? In the first place, we should give thanks to God. This is what Paul prays for these believers in verse 12 of this chapter. So look down at verse 12 in your Bibles. Paul is praying for them that their lives would be marked by a practice of giving thanks to God, who qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, if Paul was looking on and was thankful for the faith and love of these believers based on hope, surely it follows that they themselves should be thankful to God. Surely we also should be thankful for the fruit of faith and love in our lives. Thankfulness itself is a fruit of the gospel. It brings glory to God by responding to the fact that we were given everything we have, including faith and love. Secondly, let's put this hope to work. If we were gardening, what we'd be seeking to do is ensure that the vine is staying on the trellis. That doesn't happen all by itself. Vines need training. In our case, what we can do is pay attention to our hope and point other believers towards that same hope. That's what Paul eventually commands these believers in chapter 3, verses 2 to 4. To seek the things that are above. To set their minds on the things that are above. We benefit from regularly thinking about our inheritance and reminding each other of our hope. I mean, that song we sang this morning, soon and very soon, is just a part of our reminding ourselves of that hope. Because you step out there and it's easy to forget that. 
You step into another storm and situation in your life, and it feels like your life is going to be dominated forever by this situation. But soon and very soon, Jesus will return. So, this passage is calling us not to be naive. We are susceptible to distraction. With some vines, you need to give them attention every few days because they seem to think that they can grow stably in midair. You need to turn them back to the trellis. Our hearts also seem to stray, shifting focus from a stable hope to things which are passing away. And a part of regularly remembering the gospel is regularly setting our minds on our hope. And isn't one of the greatest blessings of Christian community this? To be surrounded by people who can point us back to our hope? So we've scrutinized a heart that is grateful and a hope that is stable. Now we turn our attention to our third portrait. A gospel that is fruitful. A gospel that is fruitful. One of the reasons Paul wrote to the church at Colossae is that Epaphras reported to him that they were in danger of accepting a false teaching. Whatever the exact nature of that teaching, it was creating a temptation to neglect the gospel in search of other sources of blessing and spirituality. So particularly in this first half of the letter, Paul commends the power and sufficiency of the gospel to the believers in Colossae. The hope that we've just spoken of, which is sustaining their faith and love, was announced to them in the gospel that they had been taught. But they were being told that they needed more. And perhaps they were thinking that the gospel was a good start, but that they needed to turn their attention to other things, to other sources of truth, to philosophies and ideas that were being introduced among them. Even in these opening sentences, Paul is encouraging them to treasure and trust in the power of the gospel. And he does so by painting a picture of the potency of the gospel. Paul wanted them to understand that the simple, unvarnished message that Epaphras had taught them was powerfully at work in their lives and all around the world. He wanted them to know that they were a part of something big. The gospel was going global and getting work done. And he wanted them to understand the nature of the gospel. It constantly bears fruits as if by its own intrinsic power. It doesn't just sit there. It does something. Paul was an eyewitness to what the gospel was doing from Jerusalem to Rome. And it wasn't running out of energy. It wasn't a fad that was fizzling out. It was increasing. It was bearing fruit. So what was the fruit that the gospel was bearing? If you look down again a little further at verse 10, you'll see that that fruit includes every good work, every act of kindness, every expression of love, every day you faithfully carry out your vocation as a student, as a mother, as a father, as a customer service rep, as an accountant or an entrepreneur. You see, the fruit of the gospel isn't some big thing you have to do with your life. It's what God is doing in and through all of your life. In chapter 3, verse 17, we are admonished, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's that thanksgiving again. There are some vines, like passion fruit or pumpkin, which grow relatively quickly. But once they bear fruit, it's as if they've put all their energy into that fruit. And so they wither soon. And if you want more fruit, you have to plant another vine. 
but the gospel bears fruit in the lives of those who believe it and grows stronger and bears more and more fruit. So the question is, do we have confidence in the power of the gospel to bear fruit in our lives and the lives of others? Is your confidence waning after years of sharing with that friend or relative and seeing no results? Or years of parenting with the gospel and the distance between you and your child just seems to be growing and growing? Or for yourself, as you're walking through what feel like complex and long-term challenges or painful situations, and when a brother or sister points you to the gospel, do you politely listen? with no expectation that it could make any difference in your heart and life? Take a look again at what God is telling us through this passage. The faith that you have for Christ, however feeble it seems, and the love you express for other believers and the world around you, even though it seems to wax and wane, are fruit of the gospel. And that gospel is at work all around the world. And it's meant to encourage us to hold on to our confidence in the gospel and to pursue it with greater zeal. Because of our union in sovereign grace, we have the opportunity to hear stories from our family members about the gospel at work in many lives across many miles. That's a tremendous blessing that we should take advantage of. Last month, I received an email from a pastor in a sovereign grace church here in the U.S., I had reached out to him to ask for help with our fundraising uh, as we're looking to plant Grace Family Church. He explained to me that his church was going through a very difficult season. Last year, they suddenly lost uh, some leaders and a number of members, and it had significantly affected their giving to the point that one of their elders who was full-time had to become bivocational. He described the turmoil that they were going through, and he asked me to pray for them. His real concern was that his people would not be discouraged by this season. Then he told me that they still wanted to give to us and express what a delight my team was to him. Faith in Christ and love for all the saints. That's the gospel at work among us, bearing fruit. If you are a believer, the gospel has and continues to have an effect on you. As we remember, remind each other, and rejoice in the gospel, and grow in our depth of understanding of and gratitude for it, these truths are shaping us and producing in us attitudes, priorities, and actions that are more and more pleasing to God. And Paul doesn't just write to tell these believers to hold on to their confidence in the gospel. He takes the time to remind them of the truth of the gospel that they were taught by Epaphras. And as he does so, he reminds us of those truths also. We were alienated from God and hostile towards him in our thinking. And we were doing what was evil in his sight. But through the death of Jesus, we were reconciled to God. He took us from being ruled by darkness and transferred us to live under the gracious government of his son. He forgave our sins, all of the ways in which we fall short of what we were created to be. People existing in the image of God who glorify God by reflecting him. All of those ways we fall short in what we do and what we fail to do. All of these he nailed to the cross with Jesus. And he's given us the sure hope of the gospel. As one commentator describes it, the totality of blessing that awaits the Christian in the life to come 
and called us and empowered us to live lives which are pleasing to him. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives. Believer, this truth is at work in your heart. It is God's grace to us at work in us. If the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing, what should our posture be towards it? Does our posture even matter? And if it does matter, how should we posture ourselves? It's important for us to understand that believing the gospel is not just a past experience. It must be a present reality. If we believed the gospel, we must continue believing the gospel. We are all susceptible to unbelief, aren't we? There are pockets in my heart that don't believe the gospel, and it just takes the right situation to expose that. And it's possible to overcome a trial through confidence in God's love for us in Christ, and then face exactly the same trial again and believe that we're all alone in the world. Paul wants us to hold on to our confidence in the gospel. Keith, I can't remember your wife's name. That's bad. See? Gina. Gina. Keith and Gina. I just feel led to encourage you to hold on to your confidence in the gospel, even as Grace goes off to college. Your role in her life is changing, but the gospel is powerfully at work. Bless you as you go, Grace. Paul, in writing to these believers, seeks to head off the danger we face of neglecting the gospel by calling us to continue in the gospel. In chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he lays it out. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. As you receive Jesus, so walk in him. Live the Christian life the same way you started the Christian life, by faith in Jesus. We do not move on. Paul is encouraging us to hold on to the gospel that is fruitful. So we started, sorry, so we've stared. Oh, that's different. Yeah. So we've stared at these depictions of a heart that is grateful, a hope that is stable, and a gospel that is fruitful. Now, we look at our final portrait in this passage. And this is a portrait of a man who seems to be no more than a bit player in the story of the early church, based on the number of times he's mentioned in the New Testament and the little we know about him. But if his role is a cameo, then what a cameo it is. And it is one that should greatly encourage us. Let's look at Epaphras, a servant who is faithful. What we know from this letter is that Epaphras was a Colossian. He was a local boy. When Bible scholars put the pieces together, they surmise that what happened was Epaphras probably heard Paul preaching the gospel in Ephesus when Paul had spent several years there. He heard the gospel, came to faith in Jesus, and took the gospel back to his hometown of Colossae. Through his faithful ministry, a local church sprang up in that small, seemingly insignificant town. He didn't just present the gospel to them, he taught it to them. And they were saved as they heard it and understood God's undeserved kindness to them in Christ. Paul considers Epaphras a beloved colleague, a fellow servant of Jesus. And Paul describes him as a faithful minister of Christ. And here we have a minor textual difficulty. 
The original text either said, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf or on our behalf. And the jury still seems to be out on that one. The bottom line is, whether Paul was highlighting that Epaphras ministered to him faithfully on behalf of the Colossians, or that Epaphras ministered to the Colossians faithfully in the place of Paul, it remains that Epaphras was distinguished by his faithfulness. We learn in chapter 4 that he worked hard for them. That's how Paul describes Epaphras' ministry in the region. He worked hard for them and that he constantly struggled in prayer for them, wrestling with God and refusing to let him go until these believers stood mature and fully assured in all the will of God. And now that he was with Paul, who was incarcerated, he told the stories of their faith and love and about the progress of the gospel in Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis, bringing much encouragement to Paul's heart. In Epaphras, we have a portrait of Christian leadership, a picture of pastoral ministry. His faithfulness in preaching and teaching and prayer was fundamental to this local church being established and growing. And he was not simply doing a job. He was representing Christ to those he served. I've had the chance to spend some time with Keith over the last few months. We met a couple years ago at the pastor's conference. I've had the chance to meet a few more of your leaders. I have a growing confidence that you have men like Epaphras serving among you. And I, I just want to commend them to you as if you need my commendation of them. But I want to add it to the commendation of their own lives, the testimony of their own lives. Leaders are fundamental to the growth of churches. So thank God for the leaders you have among you. You see, you can tell I'm slightly inexperienced at this. I haven't done this in enough years because you started clapping and I should have grabbed the, water, the bottle of water immediately. <laughs> I need to bear that in mind. You know. Scrap those moments. So we have this example here in Epaphras and it speaks to us to the value of God the leaders. But in a wider sense, it speaks to us about the importance of faithfulness. Even though the real star here is the gospel that is bearing fruit and increasing in all the world, as if with an energy of its own, it's funny that we find Epaphras in every picture in this passage. A train is an amazing piece of engineering that has the ability to carry massive loads, tremendous distances. While Keith was driving me around yesterday afternoon, I spotted one on the elevated tracks that you have here. Uh, and... We couldn't, we couldn't see the start of the train. We couldn't see the end of the cars that it was carrying. I mean, I don't see stuff like that at home. It's just like, that's amazing. Look at that. Those who designed trains made the decision that they should be operated by an engineer. An engineer has a job to do, but it is a train that carries people or goods from one place to the next. Similarly, though the work is done by the gospel, it requires one who preaches. Epaphras was that one in the case of the believers in Colossae. The gracious God who has given us the gospel decided that it should be spread by the foolishness of preaching. Paul asks in Romans chapter 10, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? God chose for the gospel to be manned. 
even though it possesses intrinsic power, even though ultimately it gets the work done. And what a privilege we have to share the gospel with others, particularly those of us who are called to preach it as pastors. We are fallible and frail, but it is true and unstoppable. Who is sufficient for these things? Our job is impossible. I've spent this week carefully preparing, praying for an outcome that I cannot produce. That's what your pastors do every week. But we do that in the confidence that God is at work by his spirit, powerfully and effectively through the gospel. Epaphos was called to faithful ministry in his hometown and in a few nearby cities. Where has God called you to be faithful? What does it look like for all, for, for all of you here in Lakeview to continue in your pursuit of faithfulness together in gospel witness? I, I got the opportunity to hear yesterday and then to see the ad this morning for your Alpha program and to just hear of the army of people involved in that. I'm so encouraged by that. And I want to encourage you in that. God is at work through the gospel as you run the Alpha program. But those of you who aren't even involved in that, don't exclude yourself from the picture too quickly. See, what's in view here is not just initial gospel ministry, but ongoing gospel ministry. Epaphos taught the gospel to these people. So Epaphos is a useful example to all of us, to parents, to small group leaders, to Sunday school teachers, and to you if you have even one friend uh, who you're sharing the gospel with or encouraging in their faith. We are called to faithfulness in serving others in whatever season or situation we're in. And by his grace, when we stand before God, he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. The impact of faithfulness in easily overlooked places is seen in the fact that this portrait of Epaphos connects the other three portraits we've considered. Paul's heart is grateful because of the news that Epaphos brought him. The Colossians learned of the stable hope laid up in heaven for them from Epaphos. He was the one who preached the gospel to them, and that gospel was bearing fruit among them. I'm personally grateful for the example of Epaphos. Like him, I've been called to pastoral ministry and church planting in my home country. The era we're planting in is not a significant era. It's an era called Caymanus Estate, um, in the immediate era, there are probably a total of about 8,000 residents. Um, people in Jamaica don't know where it is. <laughs> it's kind of between the main city of Kingston, a massive population center called Portmore to the south of it. I hope you can see that map. Yeah, okay, the, dot is, yeah, the, the marker is big. There's Caymanus Estate. So Portmore is there to the south. Kingston is over, over there to the east. And then Spanish Town, which was our first capital, is to the west. So... It's not a particularly important area, um, but we, God has given us a heart for friends who are living in the area and near to that area, who, some of whom travel a long distance for local church, uh, and people who live in the area who, look, they're out of the rhythm of going to church. They may have gone before, or they may not have even understood the gospel, but bringing a local church to them could make a massive difference. Can you skip forward to one more picture for me there? That's an aerial shot of Caymanus Country Club Estate. It's a middle-class development in that area. Imagine if everyone living in every one of those homes had a compelling gospel witness, could see people living for Jesus, loving their neighbors, raising their children, and could say, I know what a Christian looks like. 
That's our dream for this area. In some ways, we don't necessarily feel best equipped to disciple all the people in the area. Close to Caymanos Country Club Estate, there are a number of poorer communities that uh, in years gone by, in decades gone by, were workers who worked on the cane, the sugar cane estates in the area. Some of those communities, uh, they're struggling with infrastructure issues, they have sanitation problems. The lives of the people who live there are so different from the life I've lived for most of my time in Jamaica. But we feel called to these people and we believe in the power of the gospel. Even in our culture where most people think they have the gospel sized up. And what a thing it would be after years of ministry that the testimony about us is that we were faithful. Faithful in preaching, faithful in love, faithful in prayer. Our desires to represent Christ to those around us. That they would have a picture of his love through our love. That they would have a picture of his identifying with us and his condescension through our willingness to open our lives to people and enter the mess that sin has caused in it. That they would have a picture of his laying down his life for us through our laying down our lives for others. Will you pray for us continually that God would do that through us? And we want you to share our journey Much like Paul was able to share in the lives of these believers in Colossae, even though he probably hadn't visited there. As we build our relationship with you, we'll be sharing the stories of the gospel at work among us. I'll make sure that Keith and all your leaders hear what's going on. And I'll ask them to share it with you. I know a lot is going on, but we want you to hear stories from us. And my prayer is that as you hear those stories, your hearts will be filled with joy. And that you will thank God for what he's doing among us. And be encouraged in your own faithfulness. So, how do these four portraits come together? We know that Epaphras shows up in all of them. But when we step back and look at the big picture, now take some distance from it and look at this mural that the passage is painting. What is it a picture of? Here's the big idea that I believe is being communicated in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. In the gospel, God bestows gifts of flourishing and fellowship on his people. In the gospel... God bestows gifts of flourishing and fellowship on his people. The gospel preached by a faithful servant was bearing the fruit of faith and love, based on a stable hope in the lives of the Colossians. And Paul, for his part, was rejoicing in the results. This church was flourishing, and there was no fellowship, a sharing in the joy of the grace of God at work within the church in Colossae and between them and Epaphras and Paul and Timothy. And God is at work today in our midst through the gospel, creating fellowship between Lakeview Christian Center and Grace Family Church. I really feel privileged to have had this time with you and times yesterday with some of your leaders. We pray that God will strengthen the bonds between us for our mutual joy. There's a mural in the city of Los Angeles. It's called the Great Wall of Los Angeles. And it was begun in the mid-70s and actually continues to be painted today. The artist is a woman named Judith Baca. And she conceived it as an ongoing narrative of the history of California. So she continues to add elements to it as time passes. We are all a part of something similar. You see, the story of the gospel at work in the world did not end in the first century A.D., The gospel is still at work 
in many lives, across many miles, bearing fruit and increasing everywhere in the world. God is still painting this picture, and we get to be a part of it. Isn't it amazing that your story now intersects with our story? That your story here in New Orleans intersects with a a small church plant outside of Kingston, Jamaica? May God give us grace to be faithful, even as he works all around us through an unstoppable gospel for the sake of his glory. And may we have many reasons to rejoice in the stories of what he does among us, both now and in the age to come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are the recipients of an unstoppable gospel, a gospel that is bearing fruit and increasing among us and all over the world. We thank you for the joy and confidence that gives us as we learn about each other, as we connect, as you, Lord, tie our lives together and encourage us uh, in our faithfulness to the gospel, in our pursuit of it, in our celebration of it, in our joy of it, our, our, our joy in it, in our thanksgiving for it, and in our mission together. Lord, please continue to work in our hearts for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Grab a seat for a minute, and we're going to pray for you in just a second. But thank you. It is always helpful to get clarity on hope, on how it is that we experience and receive and interact with the hope that God intended for us to to have. So, brother, thank you so very much for that word that helps us. We asked Joel to come to help us to get to know him and to know the kind of man that we are partnering with in the days to come to support what God is doing in Jamaica. Let me share with you just a little bit about how you can be involved in that, and I want to come back and and reiterate the word that he mentioned about Epaphras being faithful. And I love that word. Faithfulness is a word that applies to each and every one of us, and and it simplifies, what do I do with my life? Well, you just be faithful. There are things that God has put in front of each one of us. We're just called to be faithful, and we entrust those things to God. So we want to ask each of us as a church member of Lakeview to just be faithful, just to be responsive to how the Lord is leading you. And there's a couple of ways that financially we can help out with what's happening, right? So you got a little handout in your bulletin today. If you want to pull this thing out with you and, and have a look at it with me, just explain the opportunities that are here. There's a couple of needs that we want to jump into and help meet. There is uh, individual need to support Joel in, in a way he is, he is a pastor of a church plant, but in a way he is a missionary who is also raising support to go and do what he's going to be doing. So uh, I'm aware that he's got about a $2,200 a month need, at least that's what he estimates, and I don't know how his estimates are. I know my estimates don't always work out right. You know what I'm saying? I estimate a lot of things that at the end of every month, my estimate wasn't exactly right. So he's estimating about $2,200 a month uh, to help him to serve the church uh, as the pastor there. And he'll have some other issues that he's going to have financial issues with personally as well. But that's something for us to aim at, a $2,200 a month need of support 
And then the church itself has needs to fund what it's doing, its operations, to get it off the ground, to pay bills, to buy equipment, etc. And anticipating that that that's going to be about $162,000 cost in the first year. And we're grateful that Sovereign Grace is partnering with this church plant. Our region is partnering with this church plant. So there's some help coming in that larger category, but it's not going to be enough to meet the entire need. And that's why Joel's having to to find more support. So how can you jump into that need? Well, you've got a couple of choices here. You've got two boxes you can check off. One says support for Joel. The other says support for the Jamaica church plant. Uh, so you can, you can give towards either of those as the Lord is needing, and both of those are genuine needs at this time and will be throughout the coming year. You can do a one-time gift, and that's something you could give today, or if you're saying, hey, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to give this much, but I won't be able to give that much till two weeks from now or within the next few weeks, just, just give us a notice as to when that's going to be able to be done by you. That way we can plan accordingly. Uh, you can create monthly pledge support so that each month you're just giving towards uh, either Joel's support or towards the, the ministry of the church there. Uh, in, in the simplicity is you'd be giving, you're just going to let us know you're doing that and you're going to be giving towards, Lakeview's going to actually take the funds from you and then transfer them to either Joel to the church itself. So simply for you, you're going to be giving towards Lakeview. There's a couple of electronic ways that you can also do this. So if you are a person who uh, doesn't bring checkbooks with you, that's probably about 90% of us now, right? We don't bring any checkbooks with us. You can, you can actually text to give. So that's the text number. And when you text to that, there's going to, going to be an opportunity for you to just put in just a, a dollar amount, whatever that's going to be, and you just put Joel, and that's, that dollar amount is going to be going towards Joel. Or you can put in a dollar amount. We've just got a couple of examples up there uh, for the Jamaica Church plant, and that amount would go to the Jamaica Church plant. So this is just a means of collecting these things electronically. Now, Pete, let me ask and make sure I'm understanding. If they want to give electronically to set up something monthly, they dial the same, text the same number, and then do what? All right, it's going to give you steps then. All right, so you just follow the instructions that pop up. So great thing about technology here is, you know, there used to be a day years ago when we sat in a church service and we would go, oh, shoot, I forgot my checkbook. How many of y'all here this morning, you forgot your phone? Okay, no one. So we're in good shape, right? So there's not a one of us who has to avoid doing what's in our hearts to do because we forgot something. We're good. We're, we're connected here. Um, here. Here's before I, I invite you to, to write those things down and to, we're going to pray for a moment. But I, I love the way at the end there you just mentioned, you know, there, there are things that God is doing. The gospel is this massive it, it, it's the, the main feature, isn't it? We open the Bible up, and there's all kinds of people's names that are there. But there's this massive thing that God is doing. He is reconciling the world to himself. And that's the main player in the Bible. But how many of y'all can name some Bible characters? Right? They're there, and they're storylines from their lives. And we are affected by those storylines. And one of the things, I love the way you said this, that caught Paul's eye. Epaphras caught Paul's eye. 
And there was something about his faithfulness that in the midst of Paul saying, look at the fruitfulness of the gospel. It's, it's accomplishing what God has sent it forth to do all over the world. But you know what else caught his eye? It was just the faithfulness of a man named Epaphras. Here's what I'd like for us to do for this man this morning. I would like for Lakeview Christian Center to catch this man's eye. Uh, He's going for the sake of the gospel to do what he's called to do. And so the main player in this exchange is the gospel and its power. But I would like for this visit to be something that caught this man's eye. As he sought to be faithful in his call, that there were others who were simply faithful and what God had put in their hearts to respond to. And they had faith to step in. And that caught his eye in a way that's encouragement to him, to his family, and to the other team members back in Jamaica. So I just want to pray for us for a moment before we write something on the card. If the uh, ushers would go ahead and come forward. Uh, if you're doing this electronically, obviously you don't need to drop your cell phone into the basket as it comes around. All that stuff gets taken care of mysteriously. Uh, but if you're writing something down just to let us know what you're giving. If you're giving a check this morning for that and you just want to drop that in with your pledge, that's fine. You can do that as well. If it's something you want to come back and revisit, uh, just let us know you're going to be doing that so that we can let Joel know this is what's coming uh, in the coming days to support what God's doing there uh, in Jamaica. So let's pray together before we write some things down. Father, thank you. Well, thank you for what you set before us is divinely suitable and appointed for us. We don't don't need to be somebody different than who you've called us to be, Lord. We just need to take steps of faithfulness in who we are. And Lord, this morning we have heard of an opportunity for the gospel to be sharing with this team the planting of a church into a need in Jamaica. And so Lord, thank you for meetings that haven't even begun yet, for gatherings that haven't even shown up on a calendar yet, but they're coming. And Lord, in these steps of faith, we have the privilege of joining Joel and the team that's there to take these steps of faith with them. And so, Lord, that's what we want to do this morning. So, Lord, give us faith to take our steps as they take theirs. Whatever we're writing down, Lord, would you just check our hearts? Does it take any faith for me to do that? And Lord, awaken in us a trust in you and a hope in the gospel that inspires us to give towards that great cause. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can go ahead and, and do that. I don't have Eric or... What's the band, man? You guys took the afternoon off? What happened here? You know, you know that little thing that, that, that he was trying to, to time the water thing, you know? Yeah, there was like this timing moment just now, Eric, that you really missed. But we understand. He's just starting to preach... Well, that's not true. You've been leading worship for a long time. We don't know how that happened there, but thank you. Experience. For making your way up here. All right, can we do this together? Uh, Can I get Joel to come back up? Can I get the elders to come join me on the platform? And we're going to take a moment just to pray for what God is doing through this man and his, his family and the team that's there. We want this to be buried in our hearts as we serve in the coming year. I hope everybody had, a, had, a, had some opportunities to write down a couple of things that you're going to pray about. 
Uh, Joel shared some some prayer requests with us last night as a, uh, the leadership team was together. Uh, my wife keeps saying he needs a car. My wife has a burden that you have a car. She has a burden for your car. He doesn't have a car. <laughs> There's a guy in the back who's a specialist in cars. He's waving at you right now. So we'll, we'll talk to him afterwards. I've had some dealings with him in cars. Um, let's just think for a moment here in, in the days ahead. There are opportunities that we want the Lord to go before these guys, to make arrangements. And there are, there are people that are going to be part of laying a foundation in this church. And those people are about to be discovered. There are three families who have taken some heroic steps of faith. They all have sold their properties and quit jobs and went away for two years and have come back uh, in order to be a part of what God is doing. These are gifted men. I've appreciated being with them. The first meeting I had with them, uh, we met in a Starbucks in, in Indianapolis a few years ago. And just to hear their, their passion, their clarity, the abilities that God has put in these men. And you heard that this morning as Joel did such a great job of, of taking us into God's word. Uh, these other men are gifted men. And, and they have pursued God's call before this has even begun. This is just the next chapter in their lives. And so the, the ministry experience doesn't begin with this. Joel has been doing gospel ministry for years, as has Sheldon and Sean. So um, we will not be surprised how God brings people to be a part of what you are doing because you guys will care for them well and you will lead them well and you will treasure God's word in a way that sounds like Jamaica desperately needs to love this word in a unique way that it hasn't. But there are other people that need to be added. And your initial core team that you build with is a very important starting block. So um, as you guys are praying, next week is an important meeting for them. The coming weeks as they begin to explore relationships with individuals is is a very important time for them. So as you listen this morning, I, I trust the Lord has put particular things in your heart. What we talked about last week, we have a throne of grace that we can go to in our time of need to find grace and receive mercy to help us in that time. And so let's join together our hearts as we pray for Joel. Lord, thank you for these moments where all that lies in front of us is not seen yet. Lord, this is not a church that has a history. This is not a church that has seen activity in people. It's got a story about it. Lord, everything about Grace Family Church, we stare into the future and we only see it by faith. Lord, how pleasing to you that these men and their families have taken steps without seeing anything blessed are those who have eyes of faith to see what the natural stares into and sees nothing for all who would come to you Lord must come by faith believing believing that you are and that you are a rewarder of those who seek you 
So Lord, it is a, is a joy for us to join the faith that's already in this man's heart and in those other team members' hearts. They go in faith, Lord, and we go with them in faith to see a day when there will be blinded eyes that have become opened, wayward lives that sat in the crosshairs of a culture that is tearing people's lives apart, but they have been rescued and they have found a new day and there is joy in their lives. There's the fruit of the spirit taking place. There's wisdom where there was silence. There is light where there was darkness. Lord, we look forward to the day when we meet individuals. Maybe as we travel to be there, they travel to be here with us. And they have a story to tell. That today was only a story that we could have believed in by faith. So Lord, there's a lot to be seen in the future. We stand in faith this morning that the needs that are present will be met. You are the God who helps us in our time of need. And you are the God who sits on a throne. Lord, you need to ask no one for permission for what we're asking for today. You have the right from your throne to rule and to reign in the affairs of this church, these leaders, those who will hear the gospel, those who will respond, those who will cooperate with what you're calling them to do, those who give this morning and who will give in the future. You, Lord, need permission from no one to reign in our hearts and to bring to pass what brings glory to your name. So Lord, with great confidence in you, Lord, we stand with this man. Lord, would you fully accomplish all that you have in your heart to do in Jamaica, in Kimanis Estate and beyond. Lord, may we see churches get planted out of this church. God, may we see that throughout Jamaica. May it spill over into surrounding islands in the Caribbean. Lord, what begins as just a seed planted, Lord, with you grows to be a mighty tree. And we await that and we step with this man and this team by faith as a church today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, you guys are dismissed. If you get a moment, you just want to come tell Joel hello and just shake a hand and be praying for him. Please take a moment to do that. He's going to hang around for a little bit. And uh, you guys be blessed this week. We'll see you back next week.